Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Friday, November 19th, Julie and I are picking up where we've uh, left off yesterday. We're talking about our 2022 housing predictions, and today we're going to finish our predictions unless, of course, we think of some more. Indeed. But we're working on 11 through 14 today, and this is where we're going to get into, I think, a lot uh, more uh, micro-focused topics that are omnipresent in the real estate business. We're going to talk about buyer leads. We're going to talk about buying buyer leads. We're going to talk about teams. We're going to talk about real estate offices. We're going to talk about all those types of things today on today's podcast. If you've not yet listened to the podcasts uh, from our first three prediction shows, make sure you go back and listen to all of those. We really spent a lot of time trying to position you guys uh, so that you can, um, I think, frankly, be ready, be prepared for what's going to be happening in the next really two years. 22 and 23. But in addition to that, we want you to be knowledgeable so that when you're all at all those holiday parties, right? which you have agreed to go to, and we'll always say yes. Yes, exactly. Remember that was the rule yesterday. Say yes. You're going to have a little bit more, or in, if you really take the past three podcasts seriously, a lot more information to share with prospective buyers and sellers, because what is going to be happening is you're going to be positioning yourself as someone who's an expert, not just on housing, not just on what that house sold for and the other house sold for, but you're actually going to start proving yourself to be a reliable source for, frankly, longer term housing information. You're going to elevate your information. You're going to elevate your value. And that's then going to increase the likelihood of people are going to choose to do business with you. I mean, it's very simple, guys. If you're going to a Christmas party, a holiday party this weekend, and you're talking to a bunch of different people, and there's three other agents there, and they're all just talking about you know whatever they're talking about, and you're able to talk about inflation's effect on real estate prices historically as it's gone through the last you know four cycles of big bouts of inflation in the United States, stuff we've talked about in the last three podcasts, you will all of a sudden seem like the person that is not just another agent, but you are so much more professional, so much more attractive to them. And ultimately that's, what's going to get them to at least give you an opportunity to earn their business. And then you need to back it up with some actual skills, sales skills. So this is the reason we give you guys this information. We're not just going to give you the, you know, the sugar and the spice. We're going to give you the actual ingredients to make your own, um, you know, you're essentially we're helping you found, uh, helping you build a foundation to your own ability uh, your own first principles. And first principles are essentially do your own homework. And that's really what these podcasts have all uh, been all about. We really love all the feedback we've been getting. Uh, the inflation stuff is going to be uh, probably, as we've said for the last three days, it's going to be the most impactful, meaningful thing that's going to happen to the economy and housing on a whole. Do pay attention when people are saying there's going to be no inflation. This is a little personal challenge for all of you versus a lot of inflation, right? Pay attention and try to figure out why is it or what is the agenda of the person who's saying there's going to be no inflation and is there an agenda between uh, behind the person that's going to say there's a lot of uh, inflation. And I'll give you an example. I sent this to you this morning. Mm-hmm. Julie was at the dentist. Yes, and again. I, and there was a great article that I read in Wall Street Journal or something by Larry Summers. Mm-hmm. And Larry Summers used to be not the Fed chair, but the Treasury secretary. Mm-hmm. And he was the, uh, you know, basically Larry Summers, you guys can Google him yourself. Google Lawrence Summers. So let's just say as far as economists go, he is about as credible as you can get. Let's just leave it at that. 
So he is a Democrat. He worked, I believe, for Obama administration, I think. I believe so. Um, he's been a Democrat pretty much forever. But he is saying that the inflation, so this is a Democrat, dyed in the wool blue, right? The inflation is so much out of control now and going to places that no one's prepared for that no one's essentially the the the, the long la long term lasting effects of this not just transitory but for years is going to be something that really is going to profoundly affect even society and and he was talking about this and then I read this other article where this political operative who is an economist was bashing Summers and questioning what Summers uh, uh, essentially his assumptions were and so here we are what was some why was Summers saying what he was saying you know why was what was his motivation I couldn't figure out why he would be saying something other than that's what he really felt. But I sure as hell knew why the other guy was bashing what Summers said because he basically was a political operative. Now, I'll tell you something else. I sent this article to you mm -hmm. as well. Again, guys, I'm trying – Julie and I are helping, hoping you guys will start taking this seriously, not just ingesting information, but being able to really take it apart, not just assuming that it's a reliable source. Take the information. Do your own homework. First principles. I sent Julie another article today, and it was talking about the last term, last time we had inflation like this. Yes. And I learned a whole bunch of things It was from very that interesting. It was really a historical perspective of what it looked like before, what caused it, how long it lasted, what were the different elements in it. Okay, so here's how trans last you guys uh, probably if you're our age or older, frankly, will remember a little bit of the inflation that was really we all remember like Julie and I are 50, so we remember barely we were you know single digits when Jimmy Carter was president, right? Yes. But I do remember when Jimmy Carter um, was president vaguely, you know. I remember being in gas lines with my parents. Yeah, gas lines in the wagon, and, 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 right? And things <laughs> yeah. were really super expensive. Yes. And and I remember them complaining about how how high their mortgage interest rates were. And all of that kind of thing. I do remember some of that. But it started. Here's the history of, remember the word, transitory inflation, right? So here's how transitory the inflation was back in the 70s. It started with the Nixon administration. And by the way, uh, Nixon took us off the gold standard, but that's a different topic. And then uh, after Nixon, there was, there was a lot of inflation started during Nixon. And then after that was Gerald Ford. Inflation was really crazy during Gerald Ford. And guess what? He was a one-term president. Then Gerald Ford was replaced by, I believe it was Jimmy Carter. Yep. Am I missing one? No, I that's right. that's right. Yeah. And the Jimmy Carter was a one-term uh, uh, president because of inflation. And then it, uh, Ronald Reagan. Now, Jimmy Carter, and this is the part I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Carter's the one that actually hired uh, Paul Volcker. Volcker, yes. So Paul Volcker was hired to be the Fed chair. And he said, this is what we're going to have to do to slow the inflation down. We're going to have to make it we're, – we're going to have to basically trash the economy. Mm -hmm. We're going to raise interest rates to double digits. We're going to make borrowing a real pain in the ass. We're going to slow things down. This is what has to happen to slow this economy down so inflation can get under control. In other words, to slow the price increases from going even more bonkers. But that was a demand-based inflation. That was not a currency. So you could argue there's a demand uh, inflation going on right now, more demand than there is supply. But there's also a good argument for uh, – Peter Schiff would make this argument that there's uh, – essentially the inflation is caused by printing too much money. And that also – so whatever's going on, we have a lot of inflation, right? Whatever side of that political aisle you choose yeah. to be on. But what's fascinating was is that it took the destruct – basically when Paul Volcker, starting with Carter um, – again, Carter should be given, I think, credit for mm -hmm. having the cojones to actually decide to do something yes, about the inflation. to break the pattern. And Paul Volcker was on record, and this is a historical you know, fact. He said, if I do what I'm going to do, if you hire me to do this, mm -hmm. I'm going to do things that make people hate me and probably will mean you are a one-term president. And Jimmy Carter still said, okay. Yes. I thought that was really fascinating. Mm -hmm. You know, noble, right? 
So Jimmy Carter then decides Paul Volcker's the guy. Paul Volcker does what he promised he was going to do. Companies starting having massive, massive layoffs. Julie remembers the gas lines. I remember the gas line too. You know, all these types of well, the gas unemployment lines were, was very high. I think it got to twelve percent. Right, gas lines were caused by a, a thing with OPEC. But anyway, all this started to. It was a long-term cycle of some real nastiness. And then Jimmy Carter doesn't. He doesn't win a second term. He's a one-term president. And then Ronald Reagan is now the president, and he keeps Paul Volcker on. And from what Jimmy Carter evidently had started with Paul Volcker, uh, Ronald Reagan then kept that going. And then what happened was during the first term of uh, Reagan's administration, the benefits to what Paul Volcker and, frankly, Jimmy Carter did started to, play, to pay dividends. And then Reagan became a two, uh, two-term president. Yes, but it took that progression of that many presidents and that many years. Well, how many years? Let's add it up. That was, thank you for reminding me of my point. Probably Nixon 12. was a one term, so that's four. Mm-hmm. Ford was a one term, so that's eight. Um, Carter. Carter, okay. Yep, twelve. Twelve, and then and then had, the beginning of Reagan. And so let's let's call that 14, so 12, 12 14, to fourteen years. Fourteen yeah. to fifteen years. Is does that sound like it's transitory inflation? to you I guys? think not. So if we're in another cycle like this, we're looking at something that's going to last ten years, fifteen years. So I, Julie and I hope there, that's not going to be ha- that's not going to happen. We hope there's not going to be any kind of you know Paul Volcker types experience where you know essentially causes the economy to take a step back. We're not hoping any of these things happen. We have no agenda where we're on one side or the other side. But historically speaking, that's a good data point. Wouldn't yes. you all agree? <laughs> good things to know. And what do they say? Uh, history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. So what we're trying to do here is always educate you, motivate you, and get you into action. So this is a bit of the education piece. And then your motivation, you know, there are some good things from your perspective, salespeople, with this inflationary time, right? Your commissions that you make are going up. The enthusiasm is still there for the housing market. So while things look like they look, it's your job to be as helpful as you possibly can to the people that need your caring skills. It is important, the point that Julie just made. Hopefully you guys caught it. Even though we might be entering into a time... Well, okay, let's just finish the point, okay? What we had, what they could do then evidently cannot be done now. Julie and I are not economists, right? But what happened before with the rising of the interest rates evidently can't be done now in a meaningful way because before when they rose the interest rates, they there was not uh, this massive amount of federal debt. And Julie and I read something, and I don't remember whether it was, I think it was per month, mm-hmm. that if the interest rates on the national, if the interest rates were to rise one point, the interest payments on the national debt would rise by something like $330 billion. I think it was a month. I believe so. It was something incredible. It was crazy. But I, 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 it may have been a year, but I don't think it was. I think it was a month. So that's an example of this time may not be like last time. Right, because they can't just raise the rates to slow the economy down. And what's who who's going to be president that's going to have the cojones to actually say, well, let's just go ahead and make me a one term and just throw it Nobody's all in the bonfire? Well, it took how many presidents? Nixon, you know, Ford, yes, and then and it Carter. basically took yep. over 10 years for uh, Carter right. to finally say, well, enough is enough. And Fannie Mae has already said, at least for next year, that they are not planning on raising interest rates. Right. So your job is, as we said in the Midwest, make hay while the sun shines. And houses still sold. D- yes, back that's in these the amazing times. thing. Both of our parents bought houses in the 70s and paid close to 20% interest. Why? Because they wanted more space for their family and better schools, the normal reasons. Right. And those, so there will be, and again, you we could go back and we're optimists by nature. All of you are as well. And if you go back and listen to the previous podcast, we talk a lot about the fact this is on uh, the first day of these predictions. You talk about, you look at the fact that the, uh, you know, you got the millennials, you got the baby boomers, you have, uh, what was it, $62 trillion of 
um, money of wealth is going to transfer between the baby boomers and the um, millennials. You have massive, incredible things that are going to be happening. Momentum. And momentum that is the wind at your back. So even if there is going to be uh, higher inflation in housing, I think for the most part, provided you have a good skill set to explain things like what we just explained to you so you can explain to other people, you're going to be just fine. That's now, right. we will say, and this was a point that we made yesterday, and listen to this point. If your uh, business is predicated, and we're going to get into a, the other big bugaboo that a lot of you guys are dealing with in Prediction 11, but go back and listen to Prediction 10 from yesterday with regards to buyer's agency. I'll conclude it with this one point, is that if you're essentially, your business is based on being a buyer's agent as your primary source of business, uh, it's not going to be great for you. And that's going to be a challenge that's not going to essentially, it's going to increase you're going to see hypothetically in a lot of markets, you're going to see commissions uh, decrease. You're going to see essentially uh, uh, buyers, uh, I'm sorry, sellers aren't going to be just um, instantly willing to pay a co-op. All kinds of things are going to change. So listen to that podcast from yesterday. All right, Mrs. Harris, 2022 yes. housing prediction number 11. Yes, the era of buying buyer leads has actually passed. It is official now. Most recently, Zillow has come under fire for the quantity and quality of lead flow to agents. Now, we've always cautioned against buying buyer business, but now it's more clear than ever that this is a huge mistake. If buying buyer leads, if buying leads was so effective and if the leads were of such great quality, then why did Zillow decide to hang its hopes on flipping? You Just guys all know this is true. We don't have to drill down on this, do we? No, but there, there are more facts coming out right now and a lot of agents reporting on the, the uh, spends that they had out there. And a lot of people are saying, well, you know, it used to be that you had to stand in line to get a zip code out of Zillow, right? And now it's like, no, you can have as much as you want to. So well, what does that tell you? The, the challenge that Zillow has and the reason that they got into the home flipping business and then got out of it, that's a different conversation, but was that when they started selling buyer leads, they had a lot of competitors, realtor.com being the biggest one, but now everybody and their brother sells buyer leads. Everybody and their brother can start a lead generation business and start selling buyer leads to agents. And guess what? Everybody and their brother and their brother's dog is doing just that. So there's not just like two dominant lead sellers, there's billions. And what does that mean? It means that when you are sold a lead from Zillow or from any of these other sources, that same lead is A, being sold to a bunch of other agents, but that same Y being sold to a bunch of other agents. It could be being sold to a bunch of other agents from the company that sold it to you. Or it could you be, could be paying twice for the same lead. Exactly. Or another company is selling that same exact lead because that same person filled out a form on another website and some other lead capture funnel. Oh, and then there's the whole, you know, KV Core helps agents learn how to do their own lead generation and all this other stuff. The day of buying buyer leads is over. You can still buy buyer leads until you, you know, as long as you want to, but the nature of the buyer leads, the quality of the buyer leads, the number of buyer leads you're going to have to buy, the amount of money you're going to spend, and most importantly, the amount of profit you're going to make is essentially the business model of buying buyer leads is dead. The business model of scaling up teams and promising your teams you're going to provide them a bunch of buyer leads, that did work 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago in some markets where it wasn't oversaturated. But now what's happened is the agents themselves, and this is going to get to our next prediction. Good segue. Good segue. The agents themselves are realizing they don't need to be part of teams because all the advantages that a team offers, they now can leverage themselves. Point 2022 housing prediction number 12. 
Teams no longer offer much value. The constant complaint that we hear from agents is that they don't get the support they need. They don't feel there's much value or direction, and they're still having to create their own opportunities. The recurring theme from agents is they'd rather go with a brokerage that offers the support they the brokerage that offers the support they were looking for from the team. Most salient example, of course, is EXP offering constant support, including live online education every single day. You don't even have to go to an event to get education. New agent mentoring, revenue share, integrated tools like you mentioned, KV Core, and even health insurance. It's changing the way that agents think of brokerage. Well, why do why do new agents join teams? The real reason is because they're going to get they think they're going to get support. They think they're going to get direction. They think they're going to get leads. Yes. So if you can get all that without having to basically be part of a team, why would you? I, it's never we get that question all the time. Should all I join a team? And we always tell them no. You shouldn't join a team. You should because that's just training wheels. Those are the baby steps. You have all the information. And there's no guarantees to it. Right, exactly. And as far as forming a team, let's talk about that. That you could form a team and we've talked about the different team models in our book, Harris Rules. Um, and the team model that Julie and I are most fond of is the essentially a you EXP calls it a self-organized team. But really what we are advocates of are agents learning how to build listing-based businesses and then from the listings generate the buyer leads and then refer the buyer leads off to agents in their marketplace and charge those agents a 30 or 35% referral fee or 25% referral fee. And have fee. a transaction coordinator and maybe a part-time assistant if you need one. But that's, that's the it. extent. That's really all you need. You don't need to have a bunch of buyer's agents for you. And, and here's the real the math of all this. And we've done this with numerous people Hundreds of times or hundreds of times with you guys get the idea. So if you, let's say your team makes $500,000 in total commission or a million or 10 million, doesn't matter. Let's just say 500 grand because I can do the math in my head and it's Friday and I'm a little tired. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. And let's, and what will happen is we'll ask them, you know, I'm on the phone with Bob and I say, Bob, how much did your team earn? And I'll say, Bob's got three buyer's agents, right? And he'll say 500,000. I'll say, so Bob, I want you to tell me from the 500 grand and how many units is that? I'll ask that, but I'll just focus on the money for you guys is how much of that revenue came from the listing side versus how much of that revenue came from the buyer's agent side. And when you do the math on this, you'll discover almost always Bob is still going on listing appointments. Bob probably has an assistant, like Julie just said, mm -hmm. probably a transaction coordinator and he's got three buyer's agents. Maybe he's got four buyer's agents, but Bob will then do the math and I'll say how much of the 200 of the 500 grand came from the listing side of the business. And Bob will say around 300 to 350 grand. Excellent. So that means the rest of it, let's call it uh, 200 grand came from the uh, buyer's agents transactions, right? Right. All right. Now I want you to tell me what your total expenses of your team were, uh, was, Bob. And Bob's going to write, give me his expenses, send me a spreadsheet if Bob's organized. And then I'm going to add it all up. And then what I'm going to show with the commission splits, with the buying buyer leads that he had to do, not including Bob's time to train these buyer's agents up, you'll see inevitably that Bob's listing side of the business is subsidizing the buyer side of the business. In other words, Bob is having to list houses and the money he's making from his own effort listing houses is ha having to go to subsidize the, the buyer's agent side of the business. Buyer's agent side of the business making Bob no profit. Are you guys getting us here? In other words, having the buyer's agent team isn't just not making Bob profit in my example, it's actually costing Bob. So I have, and I said, so this will, <laughs> this is where the conversation will go. So Bob, if you did not have these buyer's agents, if you stopped buying buyer leads, you would increase your net profit just by doing what you're already doing from the listing side by whatever you're losing now to subsidize your buyer agent side, 50, 75, hundred grand is typically what we see. 
And then you show Bob the actual numbers. So you're breaking down the business from buyer side versus seller side. Then you look at the expense. Don't blend, guys. Blending is mm -hmm. bullshit. You got to break it down. This profit or this expense went to supporting the buyer's agents, the buying of the buyer leads. Some of you with bigger buyer agent teams have buyer leads coordinators. You have the, and Ugh. again, you have yeah. maybe even have a sales manager. You have all this expense. And then the buyer's agents, of course, are never happy with their commission splits. Nope. And you have to pay, you know, you're spending all this extra money on And they them. tell you the leads suck, so you go buy more, more leads for the baby birds. Exactly. <laughs> Pissed off baby birds is our analogy in our book. So then what happens is you then, we sit down with Bob and we show Bob that if he did not have those buyer's agents, if he did not buy buyer's leads, buyer leads, if he did not have any, incur any of that expense, that Bob would actually increase his net income, net income. And his time and less stress and less liability and, liability. and less staff. Right. Yes. And then you ask, so you say, you point all this out to Bob. 99.9% .9 of the time, Bob doesn't want to hear it. And I'll tell you why. And Bob, if you're listening right now. <laughs> the collective we're, Bob. We're here for you, brother. But here's what the reason why. It's because Bob wants to brag about the number of units he units sold. Units and volume. And the dollar volume. That's yep. why. Because Bob will feel like it'll be a step back to increase his net income. Yes. That's eight, how agents think. Because he would do fewer units. Right. He'll do yeah. fewer units. So maybe if to make 500 grand, Bob and his team had to sell 100 units, let's say, or 50 mm -hmm. or 75 or who cares? Right. doesn't matter. And then all of a sudden he gets all these awards and plaques and people said, that's Big Bob. Yes. Big Bob the rock star. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden Bob's basically the, you know, he's no Bob longer. Bob wonders why he doesn't have much money to show for it. Right. But Bob is buying recognition. He's buying adulation. He's not, he could actually increase his net profit. Now, to Bob's credit, maybe when Bob started doing this team thing 10 years ago, it actually was more profitable. The leads That's were true. better quality. The leads didn't cost as much. He didn't have to pay the buyer's agents as much money. Maybe the whole- And the it, buyer side of the transaction was more profitable back then. Exactly. That's another, It was easier. The, remember what Julie just said. The buyer's agents are part of the transaction. The commissions were higher. Right? There's more to go around. And how many of you right now have teams or are thinking about forming teams and you've actually never broken your numbers down like that to figure out the truth behind the whole fallacy of running teams? That's because they blend everything. And it's because sales are happening easily right That's now. That's right. And, and I because mean that, listings sell themselves. That covers up a lot. But why are you and I the only ones in the industry that say this? Because we actually, you know, sold real estate. We sold real okay. estate and we don't want these guys to suffer. No. That's right. So... Uh, put that into the hopper and mix it around and see what your numbers come out to, especially team leaders. All right. 2022 housing prediction number 13. Remember, you guys are going to go to parties. They're going to ask you, what do you predict for 2022? Uh, well, this might be a realtor party. This with, is probably a realtor. Yes, the, okay. You're going to a realtor party. Yes. Okay. This will be something you can talk about at the realtor party. So brick and mortar, uh, you know, bro brokerages are no longer actually necessary and definitely not required. And we can all thank COVID for making it clear that we can function perfectly well at our virtual offices. Brokers everywhere are realizing that their costly overhead doesn't really offer much value anymore. It eats into their profit margin, like we just illustrated, and it's no longer seen as a necessity to agents. Agents don't need office computers, fax machines, copiers, conference rooms anymore. That's kind of old school, especially post-COVID, when virtually everybody knows Did how to you use really Zoom. put fax machine in your notes? Well, I was thinking about why, why was it <laughs> that we've got all these legacy you know, broker offices. It used to be long-term leases. That That's you, your answer. Right. And you used to be that you'd go there because you needed all that crap. Well, we don't need any of that. It's now. because the old way of doing it is you'd start a brokerage, you'd buy the building. Yes. And basically when the brokerage, you know, ran its course and you're the only real asset you'd built wasn't the brokerage because brokerages aren't That's worth right. anything. It was the building that you paid off. Yep. That was the reason that people bought buildings. And yes. you know what? 
back in the 90s, back it in the worked. 80s, that actually kind of made sense. But nowadays, it doesn't make sense. And further, and the other reason is, is because, again, it goes to ego. Yes. Agents want to say, this is my office. Brokers sure. want to say, join our office because this is the, you know, these are the, the amenities that we offer. Yeah, but people don't want to do that. Your clients Consumer, don't want to go there anymore. Consumers don't go to your office. They think it's office. weird. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, and, but, I, and I think COVID made it worse. Well, yeah. the other, but the other reason is, and this is the real, I think, really reason that brick and mortar, it still exists because, as to your point, it shouldn't, is because the franchises, yeah, are uh, the, a lot of the franchises out there. They require brick and mortar locations, and a lot of the people are locked into long term franchises. Yes, and so there is no virtual model that's viable other than really EXP. There's others, but not at the same scale as EXP. So EXP Realty has proven and aided along by COVID, obviously, that brick and mortar locations are absolutely positively not needed anymore. And you guys don't want to go to the office anyway. And I'll, I'll tell you something else that's cool about EXP. Well, one of the many things. But look at um, what was that? Uh, Mark Zuckerberg came out the mm -hmm. other day talking about the meta universe yes. or metaverse I or whatever know. it was, right? Mm -hmm. Well, EXP has got that already. It the, was born that way. It was. The virtual campus is called Verbella. If you guys want to research it, just go to Google Verbella. That is a company that EXP owns. That's a company that EXP agents own as part of being shareholders in EXPI, which is the holding company for EXP. So when you become an EXP agent, you actually own part of Verbella. Verbella is a, meta, a metaverse. Verbella is what Mark Zuckerberg was talking about. And I think that's really fascinating. And, and it wasn't shoehorned or transformed from something old school into that. Mm -mm. It was born that way. That's born that way. And it's pretty awesome. You guys should definitely check that out. By the way, yes, of course, Julie and I are with EXP Realty, as should you. If you're interested in joining EXP, as many of you are on that road, we would love to be your sponsor. So yes, Julie and I are formally applying for the job of being your sponsor at EXP Realty. So if you're on the road to becoming an EXP agent and you have not yet chosen your sponsor, we would love the honor of being your sponsor at EXP. Just text me directly at 512-758-0206. Text me directly, 512-758-0206. And let's have a one-on-one -on -one conversation about why you probably want to choose Julie and I to be your EXP sponsor. All right, Julie Harris. Yes, last but not least, and I'm leaving it on purpose on this point because you're all about to go off into the holidays and be in front of lots of past clients, center of influence, expanding your sphere, going to parties. So housing prediction number 14, and I really believe this is true, your past clients and centers of influence need you more than ever. It's your your job to contact them, not the other way around. By voice. By phone, voice. Phone you know, or in person. Real stuff. Real communication matters. Be the one who calls regularly, sends thank you notes, follows up immediately, and nurtures your database. Remember, 10% will do business with you yearly or refer business to you, but only when you communicate for real. It's not enough just to have that database. You have to actually talk to them. But that's the fallacy of centers of influence and past client marketing. Yes. People will say, you form a database. You know, and you, you drip on them. You call the database. You drip on them. You drop off crap at their house and whatever. And then 10% are going to do a transaction per year. Not with you. Because you're the one that's leaving, you know, rat-infested pumpkin pies on their doorstep. <laughs> trying to make you guys laugh here. But that the real reason that they're going to do business with you is because you called them. Use one of our scripts for calling your centers of influence. You actually care about them. Right. And Or, you know, we gave you guys a great idea the other day with the wrapping paper thing. That's Oh, well, that's on fire. Our face, I don't know if you've looked at what they're doing. But, yeah, our Facebook page is full of great success stories. Talk about that. that. It's our Facebook members page, which you can't be a member of. I'm, in, unless, unless you're you're, Unless you're one of our coaching clients. But talk about that. Well, so this was the simple idea of going out, getting some inexpensive but pretty wrapping paper, you know, rolled, wrapped up, 
And you have a little tag um, hole punched with your business card that says something like, the most, the most popular one is, friends don't let friends get wrapped up with the wrong realtor. Or don't get wrapped up in a stressful real estate transaction. You can make light of wrapped up, right? And then you put a, maybe a candy cane and some curling ribbon and you make it like a nice little giveaway thing. Now, agents are doing usually, I think the most, one of them is doing like 350 rolls of of uh, wrapping paper, but most of them are doing like two cases of, I think you can buy them 48 at a time. So you're getting them out there. This is to your neighborhood, your past clients, your center of influence, your pop buys, your closings, your open houses, your lead follow-up, anywhere you can get them. A dollar a roll, right? A dollar a roll. And I think they're probably getting cheaper as we get closer. Right. And you can do this right up to Christmas Eve. And those of you who are like, well, I don't want to have a Merry Christmas theme, buy snowmen, buy snowflakes. It's okay. You mean she, she's saying if you want to keep it non-denominational. It's fine. There's lots of great choices. You know, they've got just uh, plain silver and gold if you want to do it. The point is to make contact. But let, let's also, this is a good opportunity for us to really drill down and explain to them mm-hmm. why centers of influence and past clients should always be their first spoke when they're building the real estate businesses. For and, everyone. And if you have a big real estate business that's predicated on buying business and you're really getting frustrated with the buying buyer uh, leads and the whole, you know, that whole <laughs> mishmash quagmire, basically, you're wanting to have more consistent business. Obviously, you need to be a proactive lead generator. That's what we teach you in our coaching program. But the first thing all of you should do is be a proactive lead generator from your centers of influence and past clients. We shared this with you guys. We probably share it with you every two weeks, but it really makes the point. And I'm going to go through this, Julie. So work mm-hmm. with me here, okay? Mm-hmm. So you discover, you guys, regular listeners, pay attention to what we're about to say, because if you get this clear in your head, you will not be so easily fooled by people trying to sell you leads, sell you ads, sell you branding. You discover you have a leak on your roof. Your roof is leaking right now. You need to hire a roofer. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to ask yourself, do I know a roofer? Who do I already know? Right. You're going to go to your virtual Rolodex of people you've used before. Do I know a roofer? And if the answer is, I do not know a roofer, then you're going to ask a trusted friend or an advisor. You're going to go to somebody that you know, that you trust, a neighbor, somebody like that. You're going to call your HOA president. You're going to call your neighbor. You're going to call your friend, your across the street neighbor. Who do you use for roofing? Maybe a realtor friend that, you know, deals with inspections. You're going to ask someone. Something like 95 or 94% of everybody has found their roofers just by going through those first two filters. They've discovered they're going to reuse somebody they've used in the past or they've gotten a referral from a trusted friend or advisor, and it's something like 4 or 6% after that are going to say, well, for some reason, I don't know a roofer. My neighbors don't know a roofer. I don't yep. have any friends, and they don't know any roofers because my friends don't have, you know. Mm-hmm. And so then you're going to say, well, then I'm going to respond to an ad. Maybe. Maybe. Then you're going to fire up the Google machine. Then you're going to maybe, uh, you know, click on some Facebook thing. Only 4 or 5% of the time do you even get to that decision-making process. And yet, how much money do you guys spend? How much consternation do you have? On that 4%. It's ridiculous. It's so dumb. Don't you guys get that? Of course you do. Well, here's how they find out. If they don't believe it, if they don't, you know, understand what we're saying and that just is going one ear out the other... Here's where they'll really understand it. They thought they had that listing in the bag and they lost it. And they asked the seller, why did you decide to go with Bob instead of me? And the seller says, well, you know, Bob and I have been good friends for a long time and he calls me every month with a market update. So I really felt more comfortable going with him. So housing prediction number 14 are the agents that are proactive and are working their centers of influence and past clients who are having direct communication through the phone and in person are going to dominate 2022 and 2023, especially since there's a whole generation of agents that have gotten into the business that do not know how to communicate. 
it this is, is be- true. It is becoming a lost <laughs> art. They'd rather send an emoji to express some sort of, you know, whatever, than they would actually pick up the phone and have a conversation. Oh, I'll tell you a funny thing. I just... <laughs> yes. So we're at that thing for... Uh, you Bitcoin. know, that, that, yeah, or, uh, on Wednesday crypto. night, crypto, yeah. right? We talked, we made fun of that, or I'm sorry, no, we'd make fun of it. We talked about it on the show yesterday, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So, um, Jay Kinder, uh-huh. right? He comes up to me and he goes, Tim, do you know what the praying symbols emoji means? He, he, he goes, he goes, uh, I thought that meant I'm uh, praying. Like, so when I heard yeah. someone died or their cat got hit by a car or whatever, I would uh, put the praying, the prayer, the, hands. The, the, hand, the prayer hands emoji. Did you, yeah. So you think it's a prayer hands emoji? Yeah. All right, so did Jay and so did I. But Jay said he found out that it's not the praying hands emoji. It's actually a hand slap. What? So, so Yeah, so it's a hand slap. So for all this oh, time, when someone's Uncle Bob passed away, Jay's You're like, been, way to go. <laughs> Jay's been sending way to go. But that's just that's just that's the, that's amazing. Just, well, but, see, this is a good example of miscommunication based right. on emojis. This right. is not how you're supposed to communicate people. Yeah. So anyway, that's the point, guys. So listen, stay focused. Have a great Thanksgiving next uh, week. We're going to be doing some shows next week. Uh, Julie and I are going to be in North Carolina for the holidays, and hopefully it snows. But in the meantime, guys, stay focused, stay drilled down, stay connected. Thank you for all the new five-star reviews on iTunes. If you've not given Julie and I our five-star review on iTunes, that is your assignment from today's and every day's podcast. It really does mean a lot to us. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day, and we'll talk with you on the podcast. Oh, by the way, over 2,000 past shows waiting for you. So if you want to binge on Tim and Julie over the holidays, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> but if you wanted to, we're there waiting for you. iTunes, Stitcher, any of your podcast, uh, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, wherever you want to go, we're there. You guys have a fantastic day, and we'll talk with you on Monday. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.